Welcome back to another episode of the Portal Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Clinton, editor and columnist for Heartland College Sports. I was having a conversation with a friend this week about conference realignment and what that means for teams leaving for new and, air quotes, better opportunities. We discussed why teams like Texas, Oklahoma, USC, and UCLA are leaving their plushy thrones atop long-tenured conferences for uncertainty in new places. Well, the obvious answer is money. There's no arguing that. However, when the conversation ended, I was left with a question that wasn't so easy to answer. What kind of effects will conference realignment have on recruiting in the future? It's something that is probably going to take years for us to understand and and really know the answer for, but we do have some examples to build off of from the last cycle of realignment in 2011 and 12. If you'll remember, uh, Missouri, Colorado, Texas A&M, and Nebraska all left the Big 12 for the Big 10, Nebraska. Colorado left for the Pac-12, and Texas A&M and Missouri are in their new homes where they reside now in the SEC. So before they were all in the Big 12, what did the recruiting look like? Uh, And even more interestingly, what what did TCU and West Virginia look like before they became part of the Power Five? So I've taken the liberty of finding the average team rankings of the five years prior to realignment versus the average team rankings recruiting-wise five years after the teams realigned to their new conferences. So we're dating back to 2006 and seven prior to teams realigning and then all the way out to 2016 um, post realignment. And I found some interesting numbers and we'll go alphabetically here. First off is Colorado. The Buffaloes, while they were in the Big 12, averaged 38th nationally, according to 247 Sports, in recruiting rankings for the five years prior to realignment. They were 40th, 27th, 15th, 49th, and 57th from 2006 to 2010. Uh, That's fairly respectable for a Power 5 program. 38th isn't necessarily where you want to be, but it's, it's not awful. After realignment, when they moved from the Big 12 to the Pac-12, their average dropped from 38th to 63rd. They went 65th, 39th, 69th, 74th, 69th from 2011 to 2015. So we'll analyze that a little further in a bit. Let's move on to Missouri. Missouri before leaving the Big 12 from 2007 to 2011, averaged 35th nationally in recruiting rankings. They went 30th, 28th, 38th, 21st, and then 56th in 2011. They didn't change much when they moved the SEC. They're five years afterwards, 36th. So they were one spot worse nationally. So another interesting number that we'll look at here in a second. How about Nebraska? Nebraska, who went from being a Big 12 contender to being a Big 10 bottom feeder, I guess, for lack of a better word. Um, Nebraska was 26th nationally on average 
uh, in the five years prior to realigning. And they were only 27th the five years after realigning. So only dropped one spot, which was very surprising to me. Um, Their highest uh, ranking as a member of the Big 12 in in that five-year span before moving to the Big 10 was 19th. Their highest post-moving to the Big 10 was 16th in 2011, the first year they were there. So interesting there. How about TCU? TCU moved into the Big 12 and became a Power 5 member. But before they were there, they averaged 50th in the rankings. That's right, 5-0. They were 55th, 74th, 44th, 47th, and 28th before moving to the Big 12. After moving to the Big 12, their average moved up 17 spots to 33rd on average. So the Horned Frogs saw a major increase in uh, in their recruiting productivity um, and, and were as high as 21st in the national recruiting rankings in 2016 in that five-year span. So um, it was definitely a good move for TCU. How about Texas A&M? Uh, the Aggies went from 27th on average to 12th on average. So we watched the the Aggies moved away from Texas and Oklahoma and, and other teams in the Big 12 that gave them fits, and they went from having classes like 41st, 27th, and 34th, uh, and a couple of uh, 16th place finishes in the Big 12 before move, leaving to going 17th, 9th, 5th, 11th, 17th, and obviously here more recently they've had a top five class Pretty much any time uh, that that we've had rankings in the last few years, they've been towards the top. And then finally, West Virginia. I'll just save you the time on this one. They averaged 36th beforehand. They averaged 36th after. They didn't move a muscle. They were 100% pretty consistent. Um, they stayed right at 36th on average. Only by a couple decimal points did they move, which was interesting to me. Um, but but 36 on average for West Virginia. So what happened with those teams? Well, the first thing that I noticed was that teams in fertile recruiting areas gain the most from upgra- upgrading conferences, if you will. So te- Texas A&M and TCU here most specifically really gained a lot of ground from upgrading conferences. And by upgrading the Big 12 to the SEC for football purposes, uh, would be considered an upgrade by many for Texas A&M. Uh, that was the case. They moved up 17 spot or 15 spots rather um, by doing so. TCU was also another big winner in this. Uh, they were the biggest winner, uh, moving 17 spots up on average um, in this 10-year span surrounding um, conference realignment. So you have big winners in – the teams that are in fertile recruiting grounds. West Virginia, Missouri, and Nebraska were virtually unfazed. They either didn't move whatsoever, like Virginia, or like Missouri or Nebraska, they only moved down by one by one spot over that span. So we're looking at teams in areas of the country that are not exactly flush with talent. They're, they weren't. They weren't faced and that's that was surprising to me for in one particular team but um, I will get into that in just a second the biggest loser by far no question about it was Colorado 
they got way worse in recruiting. They dropped 25 spots on average from 38th to 63rd. That's that's just an outstanding uh, metric compared to the others. It does it stands alone. So uh, Colorado, as far as recruiting goes, awful move for them to move to the Pac-12. The most interesting one for me was Nebraska because there's been so much talk about how Nebraska fell off as soon as they made it to the Big Ten and how uh, teams like Oklahoma and Texas are going to be in the same the same boat as Nebraska whenever they leave, that they're just doomed to be uh, – ha- you better be happy with the money because the success on the field is going to go away. I've heard it from several people. I don't know that that's necessarily the case because looking just solely at the numbers here, it's pretty easy to see that Nebraska, the powerhouse of the 90s and the early 2000s, was kind of falling apart before they even got a chance. Uh, before they even got a chance to recover in the recruiting aspect. Uh, they they were already going downhill as far as recruiting goes from those early 2000s and, and 90s runs that they were on. So they were declining while still in Big 12 play. And then once they hit the Big 10, I, around the time that Bo Pelini was let go, the on-the-field the play, the on the field play just declined sharply. So um, – you could say that Nebraska lost all of its ties to the Texas pipeline that it had for so long, um, and, and that played a part in, in perhaps not having the difference makers that it needs to be competitive in the Big Ten, but that's neither here nor there. Um, but the big thing was Nebraska didn't really move that much, and then two Texas schools really thrived in the move. So what does this mean for Texas, Oklahoma, USC and UCLA, the four teams that are moving conferences uh, in a few years. And we'll even get a chance to look at what happens for BYU, UCF, Cincinnati, and Houston uh, this year, making it into the Big Ten, or into the Big 12, rather. So let's look at Texas and Oklahoma, and we can actually group the new Big 12 teams into this. I think that those six schools – stand to improve in recruiting. I And I think that more specifically, Oklahoma and Texas will improve in recruiting because they're going to the SEC, but they are already top recruiting programs. So now we could see Oklahoma and Texas have a boost similar to what Texas A&M did when they went to the SEC. And, and the Aggies might just be the biggest loser in this situation. Uh, not only do they lose the tie of being the only Texas school in the SEC, but they really can't hold a match to the prestige that Oklahoma and Texas bring in as far as what their program has done in the past and and how prestigious the school is as far as athletics go. Oklahoma and Texas are far superior, especially in football, to the A&M program as far as trophies and accolades and things that they've done um, on the field. It'll be interesting to see what BYU and, and UCF, Houston, and Cincinnati do in the Big 12 this year. I think that there's a good chance that starting this year, their recruiting does improve similarly to what we saw with TCU because UCF is in a really good spot as far as uh, recruiting grounds. Florida is fantastic, uh, just about almost as good as putting recruits out of the state of Texas is. So UCF's in a good spot. 
Ohio is underrated. I think that Cincinnati has had a long standing uh, proof that they can do, they can build teams from the state of Ohio. And I think that that'll just improve since they're in the Big 12. Houston obviously is a big time place for uh, recruits, and, and the state of Texas is unmatched whenever it comes to high school recruiting prowess. The one outlier is BYU, and I'm not even going to pretend to know how BYU's recruiting goes because we may have a kid commit to to commit to play for BYU here, and he may not see the field for two or three years because he has religious um, parts of his commitment to BYU that he has to take care of before he steps on the field. So um, I don't know that that's going to change a whole lot for them. Uh, just because of that tie, but I do think that there's going to be some big increases in the other three schools. So I like where those schools are at. I like where Texas and Oklahoma are at. What about USC and UCLA, though? It, I That's intriguing to me. I think that's going to be really interesting to watch because not only are they joining a conference that is seen as better, the Big Ten is – leaps and bounds ahead of the Pac-12 in in regards to football. But USC and UCLA are on they're geographically on an island compared to the other schools and that's going to present some challenges. Uh, Los Angeles is obviously smack dab right in the middle of a huge recruiting grounds but um and California is certainly big enough for the two schools to to build rosters through but being that far away from the schools that you're going to play, I just I think it creates an interesting uh, predicament for those schools just because when November rolls around and you're going from sunny and 75 in California to snowy and below freezing in Pennsylvania or Ohio for conference games, that's going to be that's going to be a little different. I, that's just something we've never seen. So it'll be really intriguing to see how it affects. UCLA and USC's recruiting. Um, I do think that USC is probably better positioned in in terms of football for success, uh, just based off their brand alone. UCLA is a great brand, but USC is probably one of the best six or seven brands in the country, uh, just based on longevity and what they've done over the over the years. So, um, let's just kind of recap. Let's look at those four teams specifically. Oklahoma, Texas, USC, and UCLA. In the future, how well are they positioned for success? Which team has it the best? Which team probably has it the the hardest out of those four? I think all four are moving into good situations, but I do think that there are some that have better than others. I think the easiest or the best setup for success at this point in time going forward is going to be Oklahoma. The only knock against the Sooners in recruiting has really been that they don't play in the SEC. That's why it's been so difficult for Oklahoma to get uh, defensive talent into Norman. But now they have a defensive-minded head coach. They just signed a class with two five-star defensive players. And I think that that's going to continue getting better for Oklahoma since there's no negative for them not being in the SEC anymore. But the thing that really puts Oklahoma over the top is that they have a $175 billion facility that they're about to – that they're – approved to build and they're planning on building here soon. Construction should be started by the end of this year, I believe, Uh, or if not sooner, and and I would say probably sooner, but 
that's going to put their facilities at or near the top in the nation. And the only reason why those facilities are being upgraded is because Oklahoma is moving to the SEC. So I think Oklahoma is set up for success right there. If 1A, 1B, I would put Texas right there with them as well. And it's Texas. I mean, at the end of the day, the Longhorns have every opportunity in the world to be successful and they'll be able to do so in the SEC as well. The Longhorns are going to recruit as well as anybody in the nation. The negative recruiting that I mentioned with Oklahoma is gone now. They are in the SEC. They will be part of the SEC that puts so many players into the NFL. And like OU, Texas has one of the best recruiting staffs in the country, and I believe they'll be even more fruitful in the SEC. At three out of the four, I would put USC. And as I mentioned earlier, I think it'll be interesting to see how the Trojans recruiting goes now that they're on an island with UCLA. Um, They can build the bulk of their roster with California players, which they will. Um, But I'm wondering if they'll need a change of play style to work in the Big Ten. I I don't know how well Lincoln Riley's offense is going to um, work against the Big Ten defenses that – we see year in and year out, they're typically pretty stifling. And maybe they'll be fantastic, but I'm not sure that uh, that things are going to work out without little changes at least. And then four, just pretty much in the same boat as USC, uh, UCLA is, is pretty much in the same boat, but they have Chip Kelly instead of Lincoln Riley, a head coach, which obviously Lincoln Riley is the superior recruiter at this point in their careers. So it's really difficult to predict if the Bruins will have any sort of jump or decline due to realignment like USC. Um, But the one thing that UCLA does have going for it, and this might trump conference realignment, is name, image, and likeness. The Bruins are one of the major players in the name, image, and likeness game. And that NIL formula for them might be able to overcome these new challenges. Uh, schools like Nebraska, Miami, Texas A&M, UCLA, obviously, and, and Oregon are on the cutting edge of NIL, and I think that that could set them up for success regardless of what happens in the landscape of college football. Now, the question is, is NIL sustainable? How long can this go on? How long can, will schools be able to build their rosters using NIL money? It's really too early to tell right now, but – if success is a byproduct over the next few years, there's no reason to believe that boosters will stop forking over the cash that's needed. I think that if they continue to seek success, if UCLA becomes a contender in the Pac-12 this year, and it's because they were able to bring in guys like Dante more than who's to say it's going to stop. So, and before we get off for the evening, Speaking of conference realignment, let's talk about the latest on the front on that front before before we sign off. The Pac-12 was set to have meetings on Tuesday. That meeting was rescheduled for Wednesday, the 22nd, and we heard for weeks about how important these meetings were going to be. Journalists like John Canzano and John Wilner were talking about this meeting is when the dominoes were going to start falling. This is when the Pac-12 was finally going to start putting things out as far as the media rights deal goes. This is when the big dominoes were going to start falling. Well, everything that came out from the meetings was ho-hum. There was nothing that was just breaking news outside of John Canzano saying 
that Fox was somehow back in the mix, which they're not. Just ask Dennis' daughter, Brett McMurphy. I, Fox is not back in uh, the mix for, for Pac-12 media rights. They don't want the Pac-12 media rights. Quite frankly, I don't think anybody outside of Amazon or Apple is really lining up to buy the Pac-12's uh, inventory right now. So what probably, what most likely happened is we know almost for a fact that the Pac-12 presidents were presented with some sort of numbers this week. Now, my prediction and what I think happened and what many people think happened is that the numbers they were presented with were not close to good enough. They just weren't. And so George Klyavkov has been sent back to the drawing board. And the problem is there's not this monster deal out there waiting. And Apple is really the only one that's willing to get close to what the Pac-12 wants at this point, which is $30 million. But if the if Apple is going to pay for that, they're going to expect to have exclusive rights to the Pac-12's product. That means streaming only. That means no linear television, no cable television, no national TV. Apple will have it on Apple TV+. Plus. Well, Pac-12 school officials do not want that. They don't want to be streaming plus or streaming only. They need to be on cable television. They need to be on national TV so that they're not their brand isn't falling behind the other Pac or the other Power 5 schools. And so the Pac-12 is at a crossroads. It needs to make a decision. They either want exposure or they want revenue, and they will not get both. They're going to either pay for they're either going to pay for the revenue that they're receiving by giving up exposure, or they're going to choose exposure for a lesser uh, amount of money at the negotiating table. So, my two cents is with those two things happening, we're getting close to the collapse of the Pac-12. When guys like Kanzano are pushing out these false narratives that Fox is back in the mix when they're clearly not, it tells me that the conference has become desperate. They they're starting to realize, well, a deal's not coming. Well, let's be honest, it never has been. If the Pac-12 schools are cool with twenty million dollars a year or less, uh, or on the other hand, not being on linear television, then sure, a deal will get done. But those are deal breakers. And I think we're likely close to seeing the conference dissolving, schools jumping wherever they can onto whatever lifeboat will take them at this point. Unless your name is Oregon and Washington, then you can be a little pickier and maybe hold out for a Big Ten invite. But they're still going to have to find something to do in the meantime. But we're getting close to something changing with the Pac-12, and I don't think it's going to end well for the conference. That's going to do it for us here tonight. Thank you guys so much for joining us. We really appreciate you guys tuning in and coming back every week to the show. If you like the show, make sure to give us a five-star review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening from. I'm Brian Clinton, and we will catch you next time out here in the portal.